Now, when you're a quarterback at Alabama, you see that lovely lady there. She does go to Auburn. I want to admit that. But she also, this Alabama, and that's A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, okay? And right there on the right is D.D. Bonner. That's A.J.'s mom. Wow, I'm telling you, quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Ah, it's a, what a beautiful woman. Wow. He's, A.J.'s doing Whoa. some. Welcome to the Pipeline Award-Winning Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason Gibbs. You can find me on Twitter at Pipeline underscore. You can find me coming through your speakers right now. Another insane, lovely, beautiful debacle week of college football. And I can't go any further when we're going to talk about the weird, the wild, the wacky, the insane without bringing in my partner, KSD, at Pregame Empire, by the way. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. And KSD, I think our crazy ex-girlfriend is back, App State. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah, Jason, after a, a quick hi- hiatus, App State is, uh, is is back in our lives. This uh, might be the one of their least uh, least memorable games of, of the season. I guess maybe the fact that it was on a, on a Wednesday night makes it memorable. But before we get to them, I want to I want to make one quick note here. Um, I know it feels like almost every week we, we've had a coach firing, and there was one today on Sunday, October the twenty third. Uh, Will Healy of Charlotte gets the axe, and there's pretty much one thing I want to to say about this, and that is that this firing comes on the heels of of Charlotte losing at home to FIU thirty four to fifteen. Now, I haven't really watched very much Charlotte football, I will be honest, uh, this season. But um, I do know that FIU was horrible. They lost by over 20 to UConn. They are just they got they lost by 70 to the Western Kentucky. I, I don't think it's coincidence that that they decided to give Healy the axe after getting drubbed at home by by that team. I'm stoked. You know, we had the one week hiatus of a coach not getting fired, although I think we did have an <laughs> offensive coordinator get fired, but back on track. Hopefully, maybe Brian Harson's on deck. I don't know. We just want to keep still, the streak going. Still waiting on Brian Harson. <laughs> He's just waiting out his buyout number, I think, at this point, as the rest of <laughs> Auburn is. But as we alluded to, our crazy ex-girlfriend, if you're a longtime listener of the pod, you know that KSD and I have adopted App State. We started dating them. We had a crazy breakup. We got back with them, another crazy breakup. And we've done this thing where – Every game has been a weird and something wild happening, and we're trying to remember all the things as we went along for the year. And this was another one of those weeks. Now, it was maybe not as memorable as some of their other games, the Hail Marys, the 40-point fourth quarters, scoring 60 points in a game and losing. So this time they were taking on Georgia State. They were, you know, a pretty good favorite at home. I think they're around 10-point favorite. Now. For those of you that don't know, Georgia State is the fifth worst in college football against the run. Probably need to incorporate that into your offensive game plan. In the first half, it almost seemed like the offensive coordinators had stayed up all night playing video games or something and had no idea what to do. So they they just were kind of freestyling it. Hey, what do you want to do? Let's just drop Chase Bryce back, throw go routes, just bomb it down the field. We can overcome this inept passing defense. Well, that wasn't the case because at halftime, Chase Bryce was six for 15 for 31 yards. They're down 14 to seven. (laughs) And and they threw it three more times the rest of the game. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like, 
at halftime, they said, you know what, why don't we, why don't we just look at the stats for the year? And <laughs> oh my God, they're terrible against the run. They proceed to outscore Georgia State 35 to three in the second half, just pounding the ball. And 35 to three was being nice. It could have been a lot worse than that. But I'm just happy, KSD, <laughs> that our crazy ex-girlfriend is back. Yeah, I mean, this this was not a, a quarterback clinic, to say the least. I mean, Darren Granger for Georgia State was 9 of 23 for 73 yards. He did rush for 100 yards, but throwing the ball was not pretty. And then Chase uh, Chase Bryce was 7 of 17 for 62 yards. So, yeah, the combined – if you add up the, the QBR of both guys, you're, we're, uh, we're barely cracking 60 here. So, yeah, not a, not a – not an ideal performance. The NFL scouts were definitely not there to watch the quarterbacks. And for those of you who don't know that QBR, I think 50 is average, right? So we had to yeah. get two of them to get zero, above average. Yeah, a zero to 100 scale. So, yeah, <laughs> you, want to, you want to be able to add them up to get over 100. But if we're talking about Sterling quarterback play, I don't think we can go any further than Thursday night's epic fest oh, between God. Virginia and Georgia Tech. KSD. This might have been one of the worst football games I've ever seen. And in that, it was beautiful. I just – there was one amazing play by, by Dontavian Wicks on a pass by Brennan Armstrong. I think that broke the record for touchdown passes for Virginia quarterback. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Beyond that, it was like these guys had never played football before. I just was <laughs> amazing. I thought Georgia Tech was going to somehow pull it out because their quarterback, Jeff Sims, went down with an injury. And when their backup came in – I don't know if he had been paying attention very much during film during the week or during practice because he looked a little rusty. My favorite play, of course, was down seven. <laughs> they get the ball back, and with just a few seconds left, he runs out of bounds with zeros on the clock, <laughs> not even bothering to throw a Hail Mary. Maybe he was trying to preserve his stats. He didn't want to get an interception. But KSD, how did you make it through this game? Well, it's it's funny you talk about how, how badly this game was played, which I mean, no nobody's arguing that, but I mean, it, it actually was one of Brennan Armstrong's better statistical games of the season. Um, he was twenty of thirty five for two hundred and fifty five yards and a touchdown. He did throw two interceptions, but the two hundred and fifty five yards is his third would be his third highest. Uh, total yards of the season he had 313 against Louisville 284 against Old Dominion so uh, which is wild to think about what he was putting up you know 400 and 500 almost every night last year um, in in the different offense but um, but yeah I mean uh, I, I want to I, I don't want to hate on the last play for, for Georgia Tech uh, Zach Gibson was kind of in, in a tough circumstance coming in the game as a backup but it, it, here's why because I mean, I, buddy, uh, old buddy Zach here clearly knew that, um, you know, look, th- th- this is just not worth it, right? Like, he, he rolled out, <laughs> he took a look down the field for the potential Hail, Hail Mary. He, he wasn't going to get it to the end zone anyways. We, you know, he was on the other side of midfield. There, he, he's not getting it all the way there. And instead of, you know, trying to maybe run down the field, end up getting yourself killed in, you know, one of those pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo lateral type situations or – you know, it, um, or, um, you know, have something kind of freak happen. The dude was like, you know what, let's just, let's just wrap it up. Let's, let's call it a night. I do think that's, that's something that's a sign of maturity, you know, um, you know, it's one of those things, Jason, make sure you can appreciate, you know, as you get older, especially like when, when you go out with friends, you start to develop, you know, when do I call it a night? You know, when, it's always key to know when to that's call true. it a night. Zach Gibson showed, showed great ability of when to call it a night. So I think he's, he's mature beyond his years from, from that perspective. Gibson skyrocketing up the NFL draft boards with his signs of maturity. 
I think the, <laughs> o- the only thing that would have made this better was if right before he stepped out of bounds, he struck the Heisman pose. <laughs> and then this like, Heisman moment, Heisman moment of, of not of choosing to not play football. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I want to stick in the ACC Coastal just quickly here because um, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Miami. Um, because I mean, first of all, Miami is bad. Like Miami's bad, 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 bad. They're three and four. I mean, this 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 might be a common theme on the show today. Let's do it. We could do the quick rundown of will they make a bowl game? Because uh, <laughs> I think it's dicey. Because this is going to be a common. Because we're kind of at that point in the season where we're starting to figure out. All right, it's becoming clearer of who who is definitely going to get there, who is definitely not going to get there, and who uh, who might have a little trouble getting there. And Miami, I think, is one of those that might have a little trouble. So they uh, they go to the aforementioned Virginia Cavaliers next Saturday. That's a game they can definitely win. They have Florida State at home following that at Georgia Tech, which is not proven to be an, an easy task, but again, it's a winnable game at Clemson, which will be a, a massive loss, and against Pitt at home, which who the hell knows at this point. So they need to win three of those games to reach a bowl game, which, I mean, I, I would not bet on it at this point, just given there's so much volatility and variety there. But the, uh, the, bigger, the bigger reason I want to talk about the Hurricanes today is Miami might have played the most, uh, the most Pipeline Award-winning podcast game of, of the week. Uh, on Saturday, and really just because of one stat, one stat only, and that's that's uh, the total turnovers. Um, Miami turned the ball over eight times. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me as far as you know where that falls within the FBS record book or how recently it's been since somebody has done that. I do just merely want to point out Miami turned the ball over eight times in a 24-point loss to Duke. So you can do the math here. It's entirely possible that if they just turn the ball over four times, they still win this game. Yeah, so Clemson did that, right? They turned the ball over four times yeah. and won the yeah. game. We might could even I, give, Iowa turned it give... over like five or six times or something, but obviously they did not win. <laughs> we'll we'll get to Iowa in a second, but yeah, yeah. So I I might could even give you five five turnovers and win a game that there'd ha- that have to be less than ten times in in college football history, I would think, unless it's just maybe a super rainy game and uh, yeah. you know, five turnovers and the other team turned over six times or something like that. <laughs> but you and I were talking so, during the game. We, we said eight, you know, you said eight turnovers. And I said, yes, one from every fan in the game or attending <laughs> the game because the crowd totally sparse. And this season we came in talking about you back. And, you know, I joked around on our creed preseason preview about them having a thousand fans at the game because I, I can't remember the song the yeah, thousand yeah. reasons or whatever and I <laughs> I think I way overestimated especially yesterday but how about this Duke a constant downtrod team in ACC football and even bigger than that in P5 football and sometimes even all of football just annihilating Miami at home, getting eight turnovers. <laughs> and then the, we've seen the U down. I think we saw UNC do it earlier this year, but did yep, you see the yep. guy break it over his knee? Yes. <laughs> I know well, that, that's, that's the eight, that's the eight turnover edition of, of the U down. I mean, like it's not, and I wasn't just the, we beat you. It's like, yeah, you guys suck. Like there's <laughs> absolute demoralizing version. I, I want to, to briefly run through some, some drive chart uh, stuff from this game, because it, this is, it's, it's, it's a work of art. 
all really on both sides, but especially just given the, the Miami turnovers. So th- these are these are the length of this is the length of every Duke scoring drive from the game. A 23-yard touchdown drive, a 22-yard touchdown drive, a negative one-yard field goal drive. Um, that that's that's all they're scoring in the first half. That's 17 points for, for Duke in the first half there. So moving uh, moving on to the second half, 17-7 at halftime, Duke. By the way, a let's see, a 79-yard touchdown drive. There's your first like normal drive of the game for for Duke. A nine and a half minute drive. By the way, um, then a, a 56-yard touchdown drive, a 25-yard touchdown drive, and a pick six. So they, I mean, Duke had about two normal scoring drives the entire game, and everything else was like, yeah, we're just going to start in the red zone, and we're. I mean, it's like they basically played overtime the entire game. Just truly amazing, especially because we're not talking about some – you're not talking about Clemson or some perennial power in the ACC or even outside the ACC. We're talking about Duke and <laughs> clearly a basketball school, although Mike Elko's doing some things there, you know, especially with Riley Leonard at quarterback. But <laughs> I saw a tweet. This was great. I can't remember who it is, so forgive me for, for forgetting that they said, does Miami know – that the turnover chain is for when the when they get a turnover, and that, <laughs> <laughs> which I know they were yeah, tired yeah, of the turnover chain, but that was a great yeah. line. <laughs> I don't I don't know where you go from here if you're Miami. I mean, I guess you hope you go to a bowl game, but also we saw we've seen what happens before when they just barely slide in at six and six, and they'll you know put up a fourteen nothing loss in the Independence Bowl like they did a few years ago, or you know something just terrible like that. But uh, yeah, I mean. Maybe John Ruiz wants to reallocate some of that NIL money to other uh, other sports. I don't. I don't know. But um, Jason, I think I think it's time. To, I think it's we have, it's time to do it. It's it's, uh, it's time to talk about Iowa. Iowa. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> Iowa. I, Iowa has made pretty much almost like App State has almost made weekly appearances on the show here, and pretty much none of them for good reasons. But I want I want to posit a uh, a thought here. This is something that I think is going to be sort of revolutionary when thinking about the situation at, at Iowa. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lead with the overarching thought and then explain it because this might blow your mind. I don't think Brian Ferentz is getting enough credit. Now, now I know this, is, this, is, this sounds crazy on the surface here, but I promise that this will make sense. So Iowa against Ohio State returns a fumble for a touchdown. They have scored like, I don't, I don't know exactly how many. I think they've scored like almost as many defensive touchdowns as offensive touchdowns. Uh, at least in Big Ten play, if not on the season. I mean, their defense literally is their their best bet for for scoring points in any game, regardless of opponent. But um, so here, here's why I think Brian Ferentz deserves more credit. Iowa's defense is playing, I mean, about as well as they possibly can, given the circumstances. I mean, they're playing as well as any defense in the country. I mean, yes, they gave up 54 points to Ohio State, but, but when you have an offense that basically moves backwards, it's almost impossible not to. So I think where Brian Ferentz deserves credit is, is in two places. Number one, and, well, and these, these are kind of related, I guess. But so in, in practice, Iowa's defense faces Iowa's offense, right? So um, since obviously uh, Iowa's offense is not moving the ball in practice against this defense, I do think Brian Ferentz has given this defense confidence to, uh, to play well on Saturdays. They believe in themselves. They know they can get stops. They know they can get off the field. Likewise, going along with that, I, uh, I'd be willing to bet, again, I, I don't know, I'm not at practice every day in Iowa City, but I'd be willing to bet that the Iowa defense does score a, a pretty good amount of touchdowns on the Iowa offense in practice. And I think that directly translates to Saturdays. So, all in all, Brian Ferentz deserves more credit for making the Iowa defense what it is this season. Brian Ferentz, secretly the defensive coordinator 
for the Hawkeyes. You know, it's insane to think that Iowa actually led in this game. They led seven to three. Here's the funny so thing. I was so mad because I tweeted that three nothing was an insurmountable lead, and then they immediately got that fumble return for a touchdown. I was like, damn it, why couldn't they have waited like 10 more minutes to do that? I know, and I called you out on it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I earned that one. I was like, of course. Like the, they used they use their one defense to play there. But you know, here's the funny thing. Depending on where you got them. Iowa's team total for points, it was either nine and a half, but some books actually had it at 10. Can you imagine they scored defensive touchdown? Because it was early. It was first quarter, right? Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're like, if you somehow you're a crazy DGen <laughs> and you bet the over on Iowa number of points, and they had seven, what is it, 14 or 13 minutes left in the first quarter? Yeah, you got to think you, this is on easy street. They got to be able to get something to, and then to get that sister kisser. Now, if you got them at nine okay. and a half, God bless you. And here we'll leave a number for gambling anonymous so that you can turn yourself in and, and hopefully turn your life around for <laughs> betting the over on an Iowa at the horseshoe, but just an unreal. I, again, I'm for, I need to write down when I see these great tweets of who's doing it. Cause I'm not giving enough credit, but when they said, uh, I saw a tweet that said, Iowa has a chance to win this game if they can keep their offense off the field. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that, I mean that, that really is their best strategy for the entire season. Um, and I do want to kind of along those lines, I want to shout out Tory Taylor, Iowa punter. He's not the first time we've shouted him out on, on this show, but I think he made like his only bad play of the season where he kind of, he did one of the, you know, rollout punts where oh if you get the look you want you know the punter just takes off for it on the fake and, and tries to get the first down um so uh, our, our guy Tory took off with it and was nowhere close to the first down he got four yards but uh needed a lot more than that so um I mean I I again like you just said though I I, I can't hate the effort there because I mean you know worst worst case scenario you're putting the, the best part of your team on the field so I don't know I can't can't hate it but uh but yeah I mean I think I think that's Tory's only bad play of the season he it wasn't an awful fake it wasn't one no. of those where you know he but then he if he he just he hesitated hesitate. right he gave him the little shimmy trying to shake him nobody fell for yeah. it and then they just drilled him yeah, I, I did just love also the idea of Iowa's punter. Like he starts running and then he, he starts running, kind of hesitates, like, oh shit, this might be bad. And then, but then it still kind of has the wherewithal, like, all right, I'm about to juke out this five star Iowa, you know, linebacker, whoever's coming into, or not Iowa, Ohio State linebacker. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to go shift team and make the play here. So, I mean, he did go balls to the wall. So I, I appreciate that. Like, he didn't just, you know, kind of crumble. He didn't try to make a move. I can't imagine this is Iowa's last appearance on the, the Pipeline Award-winning oh, podcast. but they, Jason, they, they still play Nebraska. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's, I mean, there's plenty nothing, of opportunity. Else. And, I mean, and also, I, I, well, let's see. Let's look at the standings real quick. I mean, I'm pretty sure they could also still win the Big Ten West at this point. Like, I don't think anybody <laughs> I mean, they're they're one so they're one and three. They're actually tied for last in the Big Ten West with Northwestern. Oh my! Oh, I just remember they they play Northwestern this Saturday. So yeah, definitely not the last uh, last appearance here. But I mean, they're only two games back at Illinois. Like I mean, they can still win the West. And I mean, God knows nobody's really proven themselves to be a stable commodity. I mean, if if Illinois is the most stable thing in the division, the division's unstable. So um, <laughs> I mean, I, Iowa Iowa could get that rematch with the Buckeyes in Indianapolis, and I'm sure things will go differently that time if they do. We're literally talking uranium levels of stability here, but <laughs> the 
here's a great segue. You know, you mentioned them playing Northwestern. The current our friends over at Circus oh, Sports God. they released the lines for this week. Currently, KSD is it the over unders at thirty one and a half, which would be the lowest total of co- in two college football teams in history. I feel, oblig- I, I feel obligated to bet the under. Like I mean, just regard. I, I don't like you, that, there. There is no number they could have set that at where I wouldn't have taken the under. Like it, it really like it was just going to be heinous enough to where. As a college football fan, it's your it's your civic duty to bet that under. I wish so much sharp money would come in on it. It would get it into the twenties. Can you imagine oh, I, a total I, I, of twenty nine and a half? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and like, the, and, and the crazy thing too is if you like think about these two offenses, you're like, well, I mean, I don't see any reason for it to be higher. <laughs> like, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not like it's you know Vegas trying to pull some stunt here. It's like, no, that 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 sounds about right. It's the perfect line because you have no idea which way to bet. Because if you bet the under and it goes over, you're like, that was stupid. I mean, this is the lowest line in history. Of course, it was going to go over. I mean, you get like a 20 to 10 (laughs) game or or something like that or 21 or whatever. But then if you bet under or or over and it's, you know, six to three late in the fourth, you're like, what was I thinking? I mean, yeah, I, I get it. If, if, if you are a, a college football fan who tosses the occasional wager, I don't think you could call yourself a, a college football fan if you don't bet the under on this game. You, it, it, it's, it's your duty. It's your civic duty. We, ha- we have to do everything we can to try to bet this down to like 25 and a half. <laughs> We're a civilized society, we, damn it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to make a transition real quick because we, we, so we talked about Miami, who was you know a team with high expectations, who is now – fighting for their bowl lives we've talked about iowa who has like the worst offense in the history of football so let's talk about somebody who's got kind of both of those things going on let's talk we, we need to talk about texas a and because yeah so there's there's two there's two i guess we can kind of lump these two together because Pitt is, is kind of in the same boat here there's two results this season that we're gonna i mean it, and these results aren't even that long ago but already looking back on them like how the hell did they happen and it's going to only look worse as the season continues the first one was from week two where Pitt uh, loses at home to Tennessee in overtime. I mean, my God, like looking at what Pitt has done since then, it does not make sense. They, and they scored 27 points in that game, by the way. So Pitt right now is coming off a 24-10 loss to Louisville. They haven't scored. They've only scored more than 27 twice since then. Um and two of those were against Rhode Island and Western Michigan. That doesn't really count. The third was against Virginia Tech, who was about the same level as those two teams, so also doesn't really count. So, again, how the hell did that happen? But the more important one, the more relevant one for right now, is Texas A&M having a, a last-second play to try to beat Alabama, like, from the two-yard line. On because, the road. my God, thing. On, on the, the road. road. Yes, on the road. Because uh, things are bad enough to where I don't even think it's, like, haha funny joke to, to say things like i don't know you know maybe maybe they'll they'll actually buy out jimbo like i mean like i don't i don't i don't think we can say that like totally tongue-in-cheek right now because I, I do think i mean they are crazy enough and they do have the money enough to to make it happen i don't think they'll do it but i mean can't really make the joke about it i don't, I don't, I don't know i mean they, they just lost to south carolina they had never lost to South Carolina before. They're they're now three and four. They scored twenty four points. It really, I mean, they really didn't even score that many because I mean they, they got a late field goal like that they only took just to try to give them a chance at the end. And they actually actually got the onside kick too. But 
I want to do like we did with Miami here because I think a and is another another fascinating case of the will they make a bowl game because they are they are three and four at this point. So just like Miami, same record, they need to win three of the remaining what one, two, three. They need to win three of the last five to to get to a bowl game. And, and I the the path is definitely there for AM, but this is gonna get really weird. So they have Ole Miss at home next, which I mean, sure they could win. I won't wouldn't say I'd pick them. Then they have Florida at home, which again, I mean, God, who Florida's who I mean, who knows with either one of those teams? Like that's like a you know, why would you watch this kind of game at Auburn, which I believe they will win. UMass at home, which yeah, they should win. And then and then LSU at home. I mean, they, they could win all five. They could lose probably all of them except for the UMass game. Like, I, I don't know, Jason. I mean, this is this is going to be uh, an interesting – this is this is my favorite fight for ball eligibility because you don't have to look it up to know that Jimbo would be the highest-paid coach to ever miss a bowl if they miss it. You know, what's funny is that all of these kind of A&M shenanigans started in the offseason when Nick Saban, not knowing really that the cameras were still rolling, talked about – a&M's bought all their players. So then Jimbo throws a press conference to call Saban an, a narcissist <laughs> and then pretends, you know, tries to walk them back as the season goes on. They proceed to drop terrible games, play awful in others. And then this was his comments after the game, which is these are borderline sociopathic comments. We have good players. We are right there. We're not getting ran out of the stadium. You make a play or two and you can get over the hump. So you're basically saying if you made better plays, you might win more games. And because you're not getting blown off the field, I'm well worth the 95 million. I mean, (laughs) especially considering that they had the number one overall recruiting class of all time and everybody was going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. And now we're talking about not being able to beat a, you know, somewhat, I mean, their record's not bad, I guess, but South Carolina is not world beaters. We're not talking about them for the college football playoff, but losing to them for the first time ever. I'm with you. It's absolute marvel. It's absolute magnetic electric stuff. I I love it when teams like this are going to get pushed to the wall and then their fan bases are coming up with crazy conspiracy theories. I did see one on a message board. They claimed that LSU AD was it Scott Woodard um, or Woodward. I can't remember, but, yeah, they think he intentionally reached out to Jimbo so that Texas would commit Texas A&M would commit more money to him, <laughs> having no intention of ever bringing him on as I coach. Mean, I mean, that I mean, I, if that's true, that's a genius, because I mean, if anything, A&M, you know, A&M is not one to be like, well, we well, we can't pay that like, you know, they'll, they'll pay anything. They'll be like, well. LSU offered him ten billion dollars. We'll give him uh, eleven and a half. Like, you know, like, listen, I mean, that's. I, I mean, I could totally see that happening if I'm if I'm an SEC AD. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna we're offering Jimbo. We'll just totally bluff and offer him like a twenty four million dollar per year contract and see and see if a And M will call you on it because I guarantee you they will not call you on that bluff. Just fascinating, fascinating <laughs> stuff, and it will be interesting when we're talking about SEC. Obviously, Harson's probably a done deal. They're just trying to whittle away the buyout, I would imagine. I can't imagine him lasting past this year. But I know the buyout drops after, I think, November of this year. It drops some percentage. But you're right. Buying out Jimbo with like $100 million or whatever it would take to buy him out would just be 
unreal, especially because they chased off Kevin Sumlin, who I think has a better record through the first yeah, yes, number does. of games. <laughs> well, I want I, I want to talk I want to talk about Jimbo's wardrobe real quickly from last night because he was wearing just uh he was wearing a Texas a um a kind of like a crew neck you know sweatshirt type deal, not not a hoodie, kind of more of a pullover that just said Texas AM University. And I don't think there's an Adidas logo to be found on this. I, I really think he like like someone ran into Walmart, maybe he ran into Walmart and, and, and found this and put it on, which I mean for, for the ninety-five million dollar man himself, like I, I I mean I'm not expecting him to you know to be dressed to the nines, but like I, I would expect at least something a little better than the you know five dollar Walmart pullover. The only person that can pull off the homeless coach look is Bill Belichick, but he has oh, the cachet to, to do it because obviously he doesn't care. He cuts his own shirt. He's, he's made it his, that's like his thing. Like Jimbo's thing is I'm rich. Belichick's thing is I don't care what I look like. So like if <laughs> your thing's going to be, I'm rich, you should at least dress a little bit better than, than Walmart uh, sweatshirt. I'm upset that he didn't wear the Walmart sweatshirt with his son's gold chains. <laughs> I think yeah. that would have really just topped the look off. That's no, that, that that's what he's gonna do when they're like rolling into the Auburn. Like they lose the Ole Miss in Florida, and they're there's like three and six rolling into the Auburn game. He's like, well, fine, fine, y'all y'all tired of me? Well, watch this, <laughs> Roll, rolling in with the with the Walmart Walmart sweatshirt, the the gold chain. Maybe he wears his son's backwards hat too. Like he just maybe or maybe adds like one article of of the of the wardrobe from his son, like each remaining game of the season, and be like, well, y'all 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 can fire me, but I, I'm I'm still rich, you know. I don't care, doesn't matter me kind of kind of attitude I, I could totally see that we we can't leave this game that i want to we, we got to at least talk about the corn dog thing uh, just briefly before we get off this uh this particular game because um if if, if you watch the uh the texas a&m south carolina game last night you were made well aware that the state fair of south carolina was in town because uh they they uh the SEC network did made uh made points to highlight it and especially especially the uh the the, the food items that that were involved with it now um, Jason, remind me, what was it? Tom Hart or was it Jordan Rogers who was uh, who was obsessed with the corn dog? I think it was Jordan Rogers. Right? I think you're right. I, I can't remember. But yeah. I think it was Rogers. Yeah, because yeah. because coming out of a, out of a TV timeout, they just show like <laughs> a slab of just like three and a half foot long looking. I mean, these things were massive corn dogs, like the biggest corn dog you ever seen. And Jordan Rogers just out of nowhere is like talk to me dirty corn dogs like like it was i mean just like there was no no setup to that like i don't even think tom like i don't even think tom hart had said anything yet like i think that the camera just like came back it's on the corn dog and jordan rogers is like doing some 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 weird corn dog stuff i mean i guess it would kind of run in the family given aaron rogers the things he has done to his body of, of late i guess so jordan doing stuff like that shouldn't be too surprising but but yeah i feel like we had we, we had to mention that yeah, those were, to your point, the biggest corn dogs I've ever seen. I mean, I'm a pretty oh, tall huge. guy, and I think they were like half of my leg. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, just imagine, just imagine those things at LSU. Like, imagine what it would smell like down there if they had those things. True. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's keep it in the SEC because there was another uh, important SEC game last night, actually going on at the same time as uh, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and that was. Alabama trying to bounce back against uh, against Mississippi State, who um, Mississippi State, you know, was was considered kind of a oh they could be you know a plucky you know maybe they do something weird or fun against Alabama that that did not happen they were just 
pretty much thoroughly blown out in a game where Alabama didn't even really play well. Like neither team really played well. It was kind of a, a it was a weird blowout. Like, but Alabama did uh, did crush them. But the, the 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 there was the the most important play of the game happened with the clock hitting triple zeros in the fourth quarter here, and that was Ole Miss scoring a like two yard rushing touchdown as time expired to make the score 30 to six. Now, now why is this important? Why does this matter? And it's not for gambling reasons, which I think most people would, would assume, but that is the first touchdown Mississippi state has scored in Tuscaloosa since Dak Prescott was the quarterback. I mean, just think of all the things that are different with the, with the Mississippi state football program since then. So that was in, in 2014, Mississippi state was number one in the goddamn country going into that game in Brian Denny stadium. Cause if you recall, Paul, the first ever number one team in the history of the college football playoff rankings was Mississippi State. Um, so that that was that season. Dak Prescott is the quarterback. They lose like by like four or something at Alabama. College game day was there. It was a you know huge huge deal. And so that, that was eight years ago. So in, in the eight years in between, they had scored a grand total of three points on on the road at Alabama until last night. Now, what was funny too about the the end of the game last night is Mississippi State gets the ball with with like I don't know two and a half minutes left or something like on their own side of the field. Yeah, you know, they had to go down the field to the score, but they they were totally treating it like a, like a two minute drive to try to win the game. Like it was it was very much like. Like you, you, you could tell. Like all those dudes, you could tell. Like they knew, they knew what the um, what the story was. They knew that like we we have to score a damn touchdown. We cannot go another game without scoring um, against Alabama. Like like Will Rogers, um, they, he makes a throw to the sideline. Like with about thirty seconds left, they get up on the ball quickly. You know they they're ready to go. Like it was, I mean, it, it was a a, a, a masterful. Oh, 15 play, three, three minute and 58 second, 76 yard touchdown drive to ensure that the streak was broken. I also love too that like they're like we don't even care if we can get the extra point. Like we just we had to just get in the end zone. Doesn't matter. We like I really thought Leach was going to be go full petty and be like, no, we're going to make you stay out here while we kick the extra point. But but they didn't do that. But but yeah, that was a that was a, a beautiful drive. I was I was locked into that drive the entire time because I was like I have to see if they mistake that can, can can get the. Uh, the, uh, the monkey off their back, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's n- nothing else important happened in this game. That's really all that matters. I was a little disappointed they didn't do the Gatorade bath on Leach. I think that would have been the finishing <laughs> touches. <laughs> but, you know, here's something funny is that we already mentioned Belichick. Saban and Belichick, obviously, are friends. I remember back when Peyton Manning and their Colts would take on the Patriots and People don't really remember this unless you pay really close attention, but oftentimes the Patriots, they would get up big on the Colts and Manning would stay in the game, even though the games were over, even in the playoffs to stat pad. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I don't have any proof of that. It just, from the outside, it seems like he'd stat pad. Belichick knew this and he would keep his starters in on defense. He would play <laughs> just as, as like fierce and calling the game, calling timeouts or whatever. I felt like Saban was doing the same thing because when they scored, the Alabama defense. Oh, was, Saban was pissed. They were they were, they were furious, and so <laughs> it's the absolute perfect game for Saban because, as you said, they blew them out there. I think they were up thirty to nothing at that point. So yeah, they were. thirty to six. So you win the game handily and never worried about losing. Now you still get to chew your team out on this upcoming <laughs> week. I mean, also like. He, 
you have to know, and, and he, he would never admit it because he would never admit anything, like anything that bothers him besides, you know, poor, poor defensive back technique or bad tackling or something like that. But you know Saban really cared about that streak. Like I I, I feel like there's a lot of things kind of like that that he either just isn't aware of or pretends to not be aware of or to not care about or oh that doesn't matter. You know, we won the game, blah, blah, blah. I, I think he very much cared about that streak of, yeah, we haven't let this school score a touchdown on us at home in uh, almost a decade. Like, I think I think that that is going to eat at him for this entire week. Like, nothing else from that game is going to matter to him, I don't think. I mean, there's not, there was nothing that really stood out as, oh, man, you know, Saban, like, the, you know, they, they, they didn't – they weren't doing the bad penalty thing like they did against Tennessee. You know, they, they didn't give up 52 points this week. You know, like, there was – Plenty of positives for Alabama, but he is going to be so mad that they broke that touchdown streak, especially on the last play of the game. You know what's funny is that I'm pretty sure that Mike Leach cared about it too because otherwise <laughs> he just kicks a field goal and doesn't get shut out, right? No, no, no. Yeah. He's going for it because, like you well, said, it didn't matter gambling-wise. I don't think there was those six points mattered. Obviously, Bama was favored by 21, so it didn't affect that. Team total is not going to affect because Mississippi yeah. State had a higher team total. Over and under doesn't affect. So he really was just trying to break the streak, and, and Saban was really was trying to to stop well, him. Also, too, I mean, Mike Leach is totally the guy too that would like like spike the ball on you know second down with eight seconds left, you know, on on the twenty two yard line just to kick a field goal just to not get shut out. Like you know, like just just so he could be like, oh well, and shut us out. You know, like he he is totally. He might be the most like that guy in, in the country from a coaching perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I think from the, the fact that they actually did, you know, make sure they got in the end on the last play, it proves that he cared that he cared about it. So, you know, he might be one of the most that guy, because I know another guy and we've already mentioned him, Jimbo Fisher. And let me tell you why. A few years ago, I bet on Clemson when they were playing A&M. And I can't remember what the line was. It was, you know, something like. Clemson 17 and a half or 20, 21 and a half. I know they had the hook and there's 30 seconds left and Jimbo is calling timeouts. He has first and goal. He's trying to score, even though they're down by a huge amount, but if he punches this in, the hook is going to save him. And I know for a fact that the boosters were telling him, you gotta, you gotta cover this game. Some he knew the betting line to that game. And he wanted AM to cover. I will take that to my grave. You and I, and of course, <laughs> he scored and killed my bet. I wanted to shoot him, but he's he's probably I, number one, that guy. Leach is probably a, a, you know, one B or two. Oh. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I'm not surprised that Jimbo would fall into that category as well. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Marshall. Uh, Marshall has now beaten two FBS teams on the season. Both programs who are you know, equally storied in the history of college football, though one has won a national championship a lot more recently than the other. Though those two schools are, of course, Notre Dame and now James Madison, who James Madison's on a, on a major crash down the earth at this point the last couple of weeks with the uh, losses of Georgia Southern and now Marshall back to back. So kind of a bummer for, uh, for the Dukes who were rolling uh, to start of the year. But uh, shout out to Marshall for now add, adding another scalp to, uh, to Notre Dame on the list. Kalen LeBorn, running back for Marshall, top five in the country in rushing. A lot of people yeah. probably don't know that. I think maybe number three. But you brought up the perfect segue, and that is teams crashing back to earth. We got to go with our beloved Kansas Jayhawks. 
KSD started out 5-0, and hosting game day, just like you called this past summer. I don't know if anybody saw that tweet, but <laughs> just like you called yeah, this past me. summer. Yep, I was on it. I had it. KSD, 5-0. and There is a chance they might not make a bowl. They've dropped three in a row. Obviously, the injury to star quarterback Jalen Daniels has had somewhat to do with that. They squeaked out a win versus Iowa State, 14-11. to They get them to 5-0. and now they've lost to TCU, they've lost to Oklahoma, they've lost to Baylor. This is their remaining four games that they need one win out of, but none of these are given givens. They host Oklahoma State that this week. Hell, that's at a lot. Texas Tech. That's that, going to be a dicey one. game. That's, that's the one. That's the one they got it. That's the one. But <laughs> I'll let you continue. <laughs> it is on the road, hosting Texas. Maybe you can get a bad Lock. Quinn Ewers game, but. That's a lock. E- yeah, you could easily not get a bat, or B. John Robinson could put them on their back at Kansas State. KSD has – can you remember a team that started 5-0 and and didn't make a bowl? We might be on the precipice of I'm that. Pretty, if I recall, let me, let, me look, uh, let me look this up in a second, but I'm pretty sure Kansas has done this fairly recently, um, like started 5-0 and or, or started like a beat with or maybe 4-0 or something like that and missed the bowl game, but – um, I would be a lot more concerned for them, uh, except for, for two reasons. One, they still have Texas Tech. Well, I mean, who is solid, but that's you know, probably legitimately the most beatable team left. But also, I mean, they still got Texas. Like, they're not, I mean, the Kansas ain't going to lose to Texas. Like, they're, that's, that's what they beat. What they do is they beat Texas. Plus, also, Kansas <laughs> State, if, if Kansas State's quarterback situation stays a little weird, they could also, and that's still a winnable game. I mean, every game they have left is winnable. They're also all losable. I mean, they probably won't beat Oklahoma State, but they could. Like, but. I, I, I'm confident in, in our Jayhawks to, to get to that sixth win. I, I honestly don't feel confident, besides the Texas game, in picking which one that will be, but uh, but th- they'll get there. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of sad to see them crash down to earth, but I, do, I, I, have, I have faith. Well, you know, you mentioned this is just Segway Central. I don't know how you're doing it. It's almost like we planned this out in advance. But talking about Kansas State's quarterback being dinged up or the situation being dinged up, that, of course, happened when they played TCU. TCU pulled one out of the fire, came back and beat K-State. But TCU, if you have a favorite quarterback, you do not want them playing the Horned Frogs this year. Listen to this. TCU has knocked out the Kansas starting quarterback, just like we just said, Oklahoma starting quarterback. They played against a hurt OSU quarterback. They knocked out the K-State starter and the backup just a litany of carnage by the Horned Frogs. My goodness, I hope your favorite quarterback doesn't have TCU on their schedule. Yeah, I've, I've seen people, some people have tried to say it's a, oh, this is a, a TCU is dirty thing. I don't think it's that. Like, I think it's just kind of a, a freak thing of, like, it just kind of has happened. I mean, football is a game where injuries happen every game. Like, you know, it's just kind of par for the course. But and I, but I also, at the same time, don't think this affects my view of, like, how good TCU is. I still think TCU is very much legit. Like, they're they're going they're going to play in the Big 12 title game. I don't know. They might win it. They might not. But, you know, they and they might still be in playoff position at that point. But, I mean, it's just it, – it's it's like it's – a, it's a weird anomaly at this point. But, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, you know, some indictment on, oh, well, they're, they're a fraud or anything like that. It's just – it's just weird. <laughs> like, I don't know what else, else to describe. Maybe, maybe Sonny Dykes has some sort of voodoo magic that he's uh, you know, conjured up over. I mean, 
Sonny Sonny Dykes, and that wouldn't surprise me honestly, because Sonny Dykes has been in some 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 weird uh, some weird cities over his career before before TCU. So maybe he's learned uh, he's learned a thing or two from some weird you know voodoo type places. I mean, he he spent some time in in Ruston, Louisiana. You know, he spent some time in Berkeley. Like you know, that kind of that's a voodoo kind of place. Like. You know, he, he'd been in, in Dallas at SMU. That's kind of less, you know, witch doctory. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's Sunny Dykes. I, I, I'm trying to find some explanation here. All right. Before we go, KSD, got a little bit left. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look at anything on the West Coast. Plenty of good seats still available for this one. I don't know if you caught it. KS, <laughs> or Stanford and Arizona State. Might have had less fans than the Miami game, and that's saying something. That was just a total. I think I saw tumbleweeds in the crowd <laughs> blowing around. This, this, this is going. I, I, I genuinely don't mean this to sound like any sort of brag or anything like that. But the uh, the pregame empire Twitter account again, go follow me on there at pregame empire has nine thousand five hundred followers. I think the pipeline accounts like about the same. So both of our both of our accounts are about the same level of followers. So, so Jason, what do you what do you think is the larger number here? People in the stands at Stanford yesterday, or our individual accounts uh, number of uh, of Twitter followers? I honestly, I don't know what the attendance is. I guess maybe maybe it would say it. sometimes. <laughs> well, there's, well, there's there's no way that they announced attendance is accurate. I mean, come on, like Miami probably announced like fifty thousand, and they probably had like ten. Like you know, like the, I I I am not I, I am not taking. Whatever state actually let's see. I'm not I'm not taking what Stanford announced as true in any capacity. I don't care what they say unless they unless they say it was like 15 people. I don't believe anything that they would announce as yesterday's attendance. I just looked it up, KSD. You you ready for a whopper? All right. Yeah, let's hear it. Attendance 25,061. No way. No (laughs) chance. (laughs) I think that overshot it by 25,000. Yeah, well, my, my my favorite thing in um in, in college school, I, I do love the uh, the uh, attendance numbers, like how how schools present them, because like in in the year twenty twenty two, this should be like the most automated thing ever. However many tickets you scan, that's your attendance number. But obviously, you know, Stanford and Miami aren't going to want to announce, oh, we had you know. Um, you know, twenty five hundred people, like at you know, like at the games, they use you know, so they so they you know, make up the numbers based on oh, this is how many we sold, and you know, blah blah blah. But like, I mean, this this would literally be the easiest thing to fact check ever. It's like, all right, this many phones with tickets on them were scanned on Saturday. That is the number of people who's up to the game. So, I, I do love that. Even even now, still to this day, where it's just so easy. I mean, to, there's literally Twitter accounts dedicated to making fun of people's empty stadiums. Like you you everybody knows you're lying. Like you, you, you aren't gonna be able to hide from it, but you can still announce that you had 27,000 people or whatever they said yesterday. I wonder if they made that announcement at the game. Today's attendance, <laughs> 25,000. Everybody's looking around like, where, where are they at? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hope they did. I mean, if I, if I was a player, I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> like why? <laughs> why? But but yeah, I mean, and, and, and God, I mean, the people, well, the all five people who uh, who who went were really treated to uh, to to uh, to a barn burner of a game too. A, a fifteen a fifteen to fourteen Stanford uh, Stanford win over over Arizona State, in which Tanner McKee threw the ball fifty seven times in a game where they scored fifteen points and won. And but, only yeah, only kicked field goals. Those are all five field goals, so they're not <laughs> yeah. even getting you know close enough to to punch it into the end zone. I mean, what he's basically 
he's basically throwing four passes per point. Like at this point, like I don't even <laughs> like how, like how do you that that God that's that's impressive. That that really is impressive, especially from from uh, from. I mean, is, is David Shaw like doing the you know everybody talks about the the quiet quitting thing? Like is David Shaw doing that by throwing the ball sixty times? It's like he's famously known for you know we're gonna put in seven tight ends and you know four more offensive tackles and we'll get to use a twelfth guy somehow just because we we were smarter and do better math than you and run it for two yards. Like, you know, like that guy's throwing it 57 times in a game where they only scored 15 points. I don't know, man. Well, I just like it that Stanford being the nerds that they are coming up with cutting edge analytics, everyone else is focusing on yards per attempt. Stanford going with yards per point, (laughs) really breaking down, breaking uh, ground in the analytics field here. So, um, Going, going back to the attendance thing, we talked about Miami having like 10 people at their game yesterday as well. So it's um it's 9.30 on Sunday night. I got the Dolphins and the uh and the Steelers on right now. And Hard Rock Stadium is full tonight. And my, my question to the people um at, at this game is is tonight is why didn't you go yesterday? Because if you went yesterday, you could have seen college football history. You could have seen eight turnovers. You could have seen you could have seen Duke football owed Miami, but but instead you're watching the, the Dolphins and the Steelers trade field goals for some reason. Unbelievable. Well, I think that is an absolute perfect way to end this episode. Put a bow on it. If you guys uh, have let's, let's go let's go ahead and announce our listenership for for this episode. We had a we had 1.5 million listens on this one. <laughs> you know what's funny though? If we go back to the the Stanford thing, I know we're about to end the show, but. I bet you if you even included people watching it on television, because remember, it's only on like Pac-12 Plus or whatever, <laughs> the Pac-12 Network. It probably Which, didn't apparently you could watch on your smart. I, I love that. Like, I don't remember who figured it out, but somebody on Twitter figured out you could watch Pac-12 Network on a smart fridge. I, I think I think this might be Stanford conspiracy at play here, because if I'm Stanford, I don't want people watching my games at this point, like on TV. I want people there. But like. If uh, if because every Stanford alum probably you're probably given a smart fridge at this point at this day and age when you graduate from Stanford, so every Stanford alum probably has one, and that's just how they watch their games now. See, that's what they can say. Well, we're not counting all the the ratings we would have gotten from smart fridges. So exactly, exactly. The numbers are the numbers are slanted in the wrong direction, but and see, and, and that's and that's how they get into the Big Ten because you know Big Ten it would be big garage fridge country because you got to store all that cheese and liquor. So that's true. Um, Garage, garage smart fridges, ratings go boom, Stanford to the Big Ten. You heard it here first. Another unbelievable episode, breaking news, Stanford to the Big Ten. But if you guys haven't considered subscribing, please do. We love the participation. We love the interaction. Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends, your parents, your lovers. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Pipeline underscore. Make sure you follow KSD on Twitter, at Pregame Empire. I think that'll do it. We'll see you guys next time on the Pipeline Award-winning podcast.